Hey, welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky. Part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. My guest today is Jeannie Walden. Jeannie is the Senior Vice President and CMO of Rite Aid and Thrifty Ice Cream. Her decades of experience span Fortune 500 companies and startups across a whole host of industries, including retail, health and wellness, consulting, ad agencies, fintech, everything. If that weren't enough, she's also the host of her own network TV show called Liftoff. Here's my highly entertaining and highly engaging conversation with Jeannie Walden. So I got to start off. This is the first question I ask every single person. What's the difference between marketing and advertising? Well, there's a tremendously large difference between the two. So I'm so curious now. I'm going to have to go back and search out. You've asked other people this question and what you answer. But, you know, my answer is advertising encompasses emotion. An advertisement is filled, and maybe it was just because I was taught by David Ogilvy and drink the Kool-Aid, advertising is filled with an emotional connection and a bond between you and the brand. And for anybody that's heard me speak anywhere, you most likely have heard my pirate story about how the pirate flag is the first brand, because without a single word, you see that pirate flag and you get an emotional reaction that is so strong you know that you're going to die because the brand always delivers on its promise. And it's very clear on what the intent is. And that is the definition of good advertising. Marketing is more about those four P's you learn about in business school or marketing school, price, promotion, placement. Yeah, you, you got all those. You can't have good yeah. marketing if you don't have your arms around the brand. And, and that requires advertising intelligence. Yeah, everybody's giving me a different answer, as you can imagine, right? And that's why I asked that question, because I, and I get asked all the time, especially from people outside of our world. They want to know what the, what the difference is. So there's no wrong. There's no right. I want to jump off or start off for very selfish reasons with your time, what you're doing right now is right in, because it's a brand that, in case you don't know, is headquartered in my hometown of Philly. And I have a very vested interest because I've grown up with the brand. I have very specific thoughts about the brand. I was so thrilled, Jeannie, when you got named CMO because I think the brand kind of kind of went astray for a while, and now it's in the best hands possible. So you've been in there about, what, seven, eight months total between interim and full-time? Yeah, yeah, since March. So you got a pretty good lay of the land now, right? What's the good? What needs improvement? You know, um, I know you you have so much experience in in transforming a brand and developing strategy for a brand. What's the current state of the Rite Aid brand and where is it going to go? Well, it's only going to get better, especially now that I also oversee what's happening with Thrifty Ice Cream expansion because right. everyone loves ice cream. So right there, Rite Aid gets a big boost. But, you know, I'll tell you, Rite Aid has always stood for something so important, which is providing 
whole health for an entire community. And when you think about what happens at a Rite Aid store, yes, you can go in and you can get the snacks and seasonal items and everything else you want. But most importantly, you can get the items that you need to keep yourself and your family healthy. And you've got access to a pharmacist that is well-trained on any question that you might have and is your connection between your doctor, whether it's for medicine that helps you feel better from an illness or whether it's maintenance drugs, which, you know, in those decades of experience, we all start to learn about as we get older and rely on a little bit more. And so, you know, Rite Aid has always had a very, very important part in a community that's not changing. What we do have an opportunity to do, though, is demonstrate how much every customer that comes into our store matters to us because there's some really great things happening inside Rite Aid, especially with our own brands. And I love talking about thrifty and I joke about the ice cream all the time, but you know, the highest quality ice cream that you could ever ask for. If you visit the plant in California, you hear all the secrets about how it's made and you're really blown away. That's the same thing with the care and attention we put into our other own brands like Rishi, which is a whole line of beauty products where the real you shines through, right? And they don't just come into our stores because somebody in a back room thought we needed them. They come mm -hmm. out of the conversations that we hear from the customers and the communities around what people need. So what you're gonna continue to see from Rite Aid is just you know, affirmation that we're here for the community. And from a branding perspective, we're really just gonna you know, tie it more closely to the impact that all of our customers have on enabling us to stay that large pharmaceutical retailer that we are. And, you know, we're going to keep growing together and hand in hand with the community. And I mentioned this to you offline, <laughs> and I know it's not part of your 1.0, but I think you told me at some point you're going to address the logo. I hope so. And that's just a personal... <laughs> Well, I am making absolutely no comments about the logo at all. I know, I know, I know. It's just totally Steve <laughs> saying what, you know, anyway. You are you are one of the Rite Aid customers, so you're going to say it. We're going to have to pay attention to it because uh, there you you go. Know, it, right. it's customer feedback. So There you go. Good answer. That's right. Not CMO Whisper. I'm a customer, and I am a customer. So, okay, I'm a big CX, just devotee, right, of – everything when it comes to CX and customer experience and getting it right and having that seamless experience, especially when you're dealing with a brand that has a physical location, right? In the digital world. And I'm, I'm cannot wait to ask you about what it is or what's so important or how are you addressing? How are you ensuring? I just had a really bad, I'm not going to name the brand, but it's, men's apparel, which you could probably then narrow it down, but a really, really poor in-store versus online experience. Very disjointed, very siloed. Talk about how you're going to do ensure, because we all know consumers want that seamless experience. So talk about that from, the, you know, what you, as you look at Rite Aid as a whole. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because it's it's like you've been sitting in the meetings that we've been having for the last couple of weeks. So I don't know, maybe last time we talked, I didn't turn the camera off and you've been sitting in the meetings. But it's what we've been talking about is the fact that, you know, we've done a lot of research and data on who our customer is and how they're shopping. And what we found, not a surprise to anybody, is that 
there needs to be choice in the way that a customer shops today. And that choice is not defined by us, by Rite Aid or by the retailer. It's defined by the customer's lifestyle. So, you know, if you watch the TV show, you'll know that on Liftoff with Jeannie Weldon, we always talk about work-life blend because my opinion is post-COVID, there is no work-life balance. It's all a blur right now. We're all working remotely, at least in parts and and everything blends together and it's more of a balance. How do I accomplish everything I need to spend time with my family, get my job done, focus on myself, you know, have fun and, and celebrate all at the same time. So when you look at how that's evolved from a customer experience perspective, it means there needs to be choice. And from a Rite Aid standpoint, if I normally come in the store, but my child gets sick and I can't leave them on the couch to go pick up medicine, some sort of delivery program is absolutely what I need that day. Or maybe I'm on the way to take them back to the doctor and I've got to drive through the pharmacy. That's a different way. Now, maybe in the next week, everybody's happy and healthy, but it's just time for me to take the dog to the vet. I've got the dog in the car and I totally forgot that I needed to pick up a couple items. That's where mm. BOPS comes in. And when you're, so it is, it is every aspect of interactivity that you could have with Rite Aid all coming together. And the cool thing is, as we're looking at the data, we are seeing that online shoppers and BOPS shoppers live, obviously BOPS shoppers do live within a proximity to the store. And it's just really their choice at that point in time. So instead of using the siloed ways of communicating with people, as I've done in the past at JCPenney, at Barnes & Noble, you know, now it's, it's an omni-channel message. If, if I've ever seen a good time for omni-channel, now's the time for it to make a resurgence, just like those QR codes did during COVID. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was having this conversation just the other day about somebody going, you know, the general public doesn't look at things the way we do, meaning if there's a disjointed experience between online and in store, the general public's not going to go, well, you know, their digital team is not aligned with their physical... It's it's all one brand. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and the customer just sees one thing. Did this brand give me what I wanted and needed at the time and way that I wanted it and needed it? And with the digital generations just growing up, that's the demand, the on-demand aspect is just gonna become more important. Exactly, exactly. All right. So I have to ask you about the elephant in the room that I think is for every marketer, advertiser, brand, blah, blah, blah across the world. And that's AI. Yeah. If I see, even like word word is if I if I just say AI, what comes to mind? I was just gonna say you're gonna have to define what what a definition of AI are we gonna talk about now? Are we gonna talk about AI chatbots, graphics creation, efficiency services, forecasting and monitoring? Well, let's keep your let's keep your Rite Aid CMO hat on, okay? And is there any plans? Is there any you know in the works to incorporate AI? into into or already are incorporating to incorporate more into AI to permeate any part of the overall marketing strategy. I'm just going to answer that with yes. Uh, like definitively it's it's being used already and are we going to use it everywhere we can where it makes sense? Yes. I'm going to ask you a question though. Do you remember maybe like 6 7 years ago when all the discussion was, hey, is a robot going to take my job because AI was just starting to come to life? And there's even that crazy website, will a robot take my job, where you can type in what job you have and it tells you how long you can last until automation. Oh, I, I remember. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you remember how like since then nobody's really lost their jobs to robotics at the massive level we thought it was going to be because we're all still trying to wrap our arms around it. Welcome to the world of AI. I think, you know, chatbots have been around for a very long time, yet all of a sudden now they're just called AI. Graphics automation programs have been around for a long time. Now we're calling it AI. Do I love <laughs> open AI? Sure, I do. Like, I love to throw questions in there and see what it has to say. I love even more when a vendor tries to pitch me by giving me whatever ChatGPT told them to say to me. And I can tell because it's the same thing that I got from a different vendor. Wait, so, wait, wait, yeah. wait a minute. Hold on. I'm not going to ask you to name names, but you had a vendor cite something that was came from ChatGPT? Multiple, multiple vendors. So, oh, like, my gosh. Here's what I think one of the new trends are, all the lead gen <laughs> vendors that we have across the board that, you know, yeah. come in and, and try and try and get your attention. They put in, how do I pitch the chief marketing officer of Rite Aid on X service? <laughs> so ChatGPT gives you their recommended, dear Jeannie, it is nice to make Stop your acquaintance, it. right? When that message continuously shows up from different people, you know, oh. it's AI, it's ChatGPT, but... I got to say, there's, there's, there's good and evil with, with AI. We plan on capitalizing on the good. <laughs> yeah, I like to say I'm surprised now that I think about it, but I'm not because it's no. lazy. And yeah, you know, it's interesting though. It's, hum it's human nature though. Like, and I always, I always would joke to say marketers, we have to have something new. We have to have some new acronym or something that's happening. And we all then get on board. And social media is always the prime example I always use when that came into vogue. And I'm not saying AI is going to go by the wayside at all. Please, you know, don't misunderstand me. But it's not, like you said, going to take the world over like we thought or were, were told it was going to six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Email marketing is not dead either, Steve. So here we are. With It, it comes down to the foundations. If you're going to be... Uh, marketing, advertising, executive genius, whatever you want to call yourself, it comes down to foundations. You've got to connect with your customer in an yeah. emotional way that builds uh, loyalty and allows you to have a two-way sharing of insights and information. I, you just gave me a great segue because you used, you used the E word, emotion. And you know, at System One, right, where I serve as a senior vice president, everything we do is rooted in emotion, right? Talk about how much emotion... Is it be all end all? Is it that important for a brand to always elicit emotion, good, bad, or indifferent, from any type of any type of collateral? I'm gonna say yes again. So you're answering me all these questions. You're asking me all these questions, or my answers are yes. So yes, look, uh, anybody that's read anything that I've written, gosh, probably the last 15 years, I've I came up with this concept called AIR. It stands for authenticity, inspiration, and relatability. And I, oh, I like that. Those are the three tenets of any effective advertising or marketing initiative. If it's not filled with air, then it's not going to work. And the relatability part is oftentimes the most challenging, especially in a B2B marketing role where you're trying to relate to a mid-market server buyer or and you're trying not to sound like you're just describing product features. But I think mm -hmm. you know, you've got to have, first of all, everybody knows you, you've you've got to be pro solving a problem. What is the problem that you're solving with your drive-through pharmacy at Rite Aid? You're solving for convenience and you're solving for concerns around 
health and safety if somebody's to get out of their car and come in you're not solving for the fact that your car can fit underneath this little element and come to a window mm -hmm. and so you've got to have that emotional piece and there's got to be a payoff it's got to be relatable to you so i believe that emotion is extremely important in everything that you do i am also probably the world's biggest fan in pr as a brand builder and an advertising influencer so I also believe that, you know, in, in most cases, PR, even if it's creating a negative conversation, is creating a conversation about a brand. And unless you're getting canceled, God forbid, for some reason, it all turns into opportunities to build relationships with people that they didn't even know they needed to have with you. Exactly. Exactly. And it's all, it's all rooted in emotion. Okay. You mentioned your TV show a few minutes ago. And I know you are so passionate about it, and I love seeing that in you. And you do, an, you do an amazing job. And shameless plug, you just interviewed the founder of System One, John Kieran, for your show, which is going to be airing soon. How, how did this all come about? Why TV? Why not just do a podcast? Tell the world about Liftoff. <laughs> well, do you, want the <laughs> do, you, do you want the cleaned up version or do you want the real story? <laughs> Hell no. This is the Whisperer Show. You give me the dirt, man. Come on. <laughs> all right. So back when I was 15, I was in musical theater and my friend and I in Pittsburgh tried out to be newscasters for the first teen news show that was going to go on air. And <laughs> I love it. Okay. Just a few days before it was supposed to go live, we were all excited about it. The the host of the show was arrested and investigated for child molestation, not with anybody that I knew. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they so the network felt it would be in their best interest to not run the TV show until they could sort out whether these allegations were accurate or not. So ever since I was younger, I, I wanted to be a TV host. I thought, what a great opportunity to bring people's stories to life and get people visibility for the great work they were doing, not just to share visibility, but also to help inspire others. Because I know sometimes, you know, reading your columns in the past or seeing other people speak at events, it, it often isn't what they're saying that inspires you, but it's the fact that they're saying and doing something that, that gives you that feeling that you can now do something or say something or do something better. So when the opportunity came up last year to be the host of my own TV show, I thought, you know, when people ask you at a picnic, what do you do? I can say I, I'm in marketing. Or I can say I'm a host of a nationally syndicated TV show. And that sounded cooler. So I decided to leave marketing altogether and, and do the TV <laughs> show. And then Rite Aid came up and I decided to do both. And I'm very yeah. grateful that I have the opportunity to do that. But the show is really focused on inspiring others, both personally and professionally. And so we've got, you know, a blend of celebrities like Mandy Moore and Dee Schneider. And, you know, if you're a reality show fan, Captain Sandy from Below Deck. But we also have CEOs like System One CEO that was just on. We had mm -hmm. Alan Levy, who was CEO of Alchemy Works, which is an email marketing company. We had David Johnson, CEO of Genexa on. And then we've had all these CMOs and entrepreneurs who have come on and, and share their story. And the point of the show is to watch these short videos where the, they're interviews about people and what they're doing and what their businesses do and walk away learning at least three things. 
and putting those three things into what you're doing. So maybe it's you learned how to dress better for work and, and then going out right after work. Maybe it's you learned how to like understand what entrepreneurs need to know when they're looking for funding. It, it runs the gamut. Maybe you just learned how to get your DNA tested and, and where to do it so that you can make sure that you remain healthy before you even get sick. So it's it's a combination of the coolest opportunities and items. And yeah, I got to say, it's based in emotion. I want everyone who watches to get excited about at least three things. Oh, I guarantee you will. Trust me. But tell everybody where they can see it, find it, watch it. Oh. Well, of course, you can watch it on Fridays and Saturdays on the CW in Atlanta and Tampa or on Channel 11 or 55, which is CBS in New York, New Jersey, Long Island and Connecticut. So it's nationally syndicated, but it also streams on the Binge Network app. So it reaches all the different apps and Roku devices and all the different channels, Apple, everything else that that you can want to watch it on. And if all that fails, you can always head to YouTube or my website. You can see most of the guest interviews there. I will post all the links to the show when, when this airs. So make sure everybody tunes in, subscribes, watches, because trust me, I was on her set and she's amazing. She's a rock star. It's, it's, it's so much fun. If you want to be on the show, reach out to Steve and tell him and then he'll get you in touch with me. <laughs> yeah. Come to me. I'm telling you, it's, she's so natural at this. It's, it's incredible. Okay. I want to be cognizant of time because I know you're literally going to the airport when we're done. So I want to get a couple questions in before we're done. And I want to ask about CMOs. And I always start with this one. Why is the average tenure always so low for CMOs? That's a really good question that if I knew the answer to, then I would, you know, not fall yeah. into that category. But I will say, you know, I've had CMO roles that have lasted, you know, my average is between five and seven years. So look, my opinion is is this about CMOs in general. Unless it's a brand new company where you're just starting out, a CMO is typically replacing a person who the company felt was not meeting the goals and objectives that that company needed. Traditionally, it falls around revenue, whether it's B2B or B2C. So that's the first point. However, the reality is as a new CMO, and I think most of your listeners will agree, you need a good six months to get under the covers of the company that you're working at and appreciate and understand what you need to do and how you need to plan it. So within that six month time period, you can't necessarily be held responsible for the results of the marketing initiatives, good or bad, because they belong to the prior person. They were still in play when, when you took on and everybody put something into action within the first 90 days. Now, once the six months hit, you have an opportunity to put your strategy. Now you've been there long enough, you've identified the budget, you've figured out what you need to do. It's your time to shine, your plan goes into play. And then that plan takes a good you know, 12 months to get to where it needs to be. So now you're there 18 months, right? Almost two years, which starts to get you into that red zone mark. If your plan's not working, Hopefully you're adapting it as you go, but if it's not working and you've got to reconcept things, you're starting to lose the trust from the board, from the executive suite, and from your team. You probably have about another good six to nine months before they decide, hey, we're not getting the results we need. It's time to look elsewhere, which brings you right up to about that three-year mark where, where people yep. move. So so it really is all about you know success is, is focused on capitalizing on how to have continual successes over time 
they might not be the knock it out of the park, big wins that you need initially. But if you walk in knowing that you've got to bring successful results every few months, that will help extend your life as a CMO because you're giving the board and the business what they need, which is revenue impact, moving in the right direction. And of course, you know, everyone along the way will will have something that's so amazing, knocks it out of the park, moves the stock price up for all the right reasons. And you also have some failures that you have to recover from yep. quickly. So, you know, it's it's not an all or nothing game. And I think those who play an all or nothing game are the ones that are at the highest risk. The only thing, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, the only thing I would add to that is I don't think enough companies, CEOs specifically, do enough due diligence when they're going to hire CMO. And what I mean by that is, and you know this, there are different types of CMOs. Yeah, and and a lot of CEOs don't realize there are different types of right. CMOs. And I've had that conversation. I've written a couple articles about that. I mean, I consider myself a hybrid CMO. Like I'm this unique version because I can do B2B, B2C. I can do brand, but I'm also data-driven. I would never be the greatest CMO of a of a company, like a brand like Coca-Cola, where you absolutely have to be the creative CMO all the time. I don't think that's where my strong suit is. But you know, when it comes down to balancing those and moving back and forth in a business that's, which is why I love transformation, that's in transition, then my CMO skill set, you know, can really shine because yeah, when we need to build a brand, we build the brand. When we need to switch to be hardcore, hit it based on the results and be streamlined and efficient, we can do that too. All of it's underlined by data and insights and technology that pulls it forward. And you know, it's it can be a lot of fun, but it's it yeah. typically is something that every every CMO should be on the lookout for. I think, and I, I'm sure you've seen this too. If the CMO and the CEO do not gel don't take the job. Yeah, exactly. Switching a little bit, your career. Is there one person you think who's had the biggest impact or people, or was there an incident, a, a job? An incident. <laughs> that makes it sound <laughs> bad. I didn't mean that in a negative way. <laughs> so look. If, is it one person? Is it one job? In terms of, if I use the word impact. Yeah, you know, your- I mean, there are, a lot of incidents that have moved me in one, in one way or another. I'm never going to live that down, but go ahead. <laughs> but no, you know what? I, I would say it, it's been so many different things throughout my career uh, because so many different opportunities have come my way. And I've always just jumped feet first into something that is a learning opportunity and an expansion opportunity for me. I would say in the early days, way back when I just graduated and couldn't find a teaching job, the director of the Pittsburgh office of the JCPenney credit division, you know, like saw potential in me and pulled me under his wing and, you know, mentored me. And that was fantastic. I will tell you about the incident at JCPenney though, that, that really shaped my early career. And I, I do talk about it all the time. I'm, I'm 20 four years old. I'm very young. My master's is in teaching. It is not in credit card operations or business. I'm working at JCPenney as a customer relations manager for the call center. Like, uh, And I got that job because I could answer the most calls and make the most people happy and, and win the most water bottles. So they promote me to become the manager of the collections department in JCPenney in Pittsburgh in the credit office. 
And my entire team of women had been doing bad debt collections on the JCPenney credit card before the internet existed. So they were skip tracing what the white page is, trying to find people who hadn't paid their card in at least six months or more. And they'd been doing it for 30 years or more. So longer than I've been alive. Wow. They were all borderline retirement, just waiting to get out there. Very snarky, as you can imagine, from spending 30 years day in and day out talking to people who have no intention to pay their bill, calling their cousins and friends and neighbors to try and track people down. And here I was put in charge of the team with a directive to turn the performance around. Like, (laughs) what was I going to do? And they seemed very scary to me in the beginning. And I didn't know what else to do. So I, I said, look, I don't know anything about collections. You're all older than me. <laughs> you're, you've been working here longer than I've been alive. You're older than my parents are, quite frankly, and you know, <laughs> many of you. Uh, I, but, I, but I know how to build teams. And I know that you're all here because you do an incredible job. And I'm going to ask you to help me figure out how our team becomes better. And I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And I think it was the first time that anybody actually asked people for their opinion. And over the year or two that I was in that role, I mean, they became my extended family, you know, and and when I was promoted to the office in Dallas and and I went to the headquarters in Plano, uh, it was, they, they were like my family that, that uh, stayed with me forever. And, and that really showed me that true leadership is not about being a dictator or telling people what to do or even being the smartest person in the room. It's really about knowing how to leverage the potential of everybody that you're working with to create the goal that you need to to reach and and build that, you know, emotional support and teamwork. See, there was an incident. I was right. There was an incident. It was an incident. (laughs) I accept your apology. All right, listen, I know we only have a few minutes because they're holding the plane for you. You can't see it listening, but Jeannie can see behind me on, on the wall behind me is my album wall. Huge music fan, very eclectic, Village People, Rolling Stone, Bruce, right? My favorite song of all time is called Lean On Me by Bill Withers. I don't know if you know it, but the lyrics have always resonated with me. And everything, I always like to ask each person, is there a song, is there a lyric, is there a title that you just, you you go to, right? If you're feeling down or if a lyric resonates with you, what comes to mind when I say that, you know, about music and lyrics and maybe there's an album, maybe there's just an artist. Yeah, no, I, I'm a huge music, music fan also. And I have different go-to songs based on the mood I'm in. Lovely Day is one of my favorites. It's like calming, but also it, by Bill Withers. Yes, also by Bill Withers. It's it, but it's also inspirational. It's kind yes. of cool, and you know that's amazing. Levitating by Dua Lipa is just my go-to song when I feel like being happy uh, these days. I'm I, as as you know very well. I am a I am an '80s hair band girl so you know <laughs> anything by motley Crue uh, makes me <laughs> extremely happy <laughs> okay so noted all right last question it has to do with audio and sounds and as i was putting my studio together with the music and everything behind me the phrase sound of marketing came to me okay stay with me here and i go what does marketing sound like 
And I, I just think it's really intriguing to put the word marketing and sound together. So what comes to mind if I say that? What does marketing sound like? See, really? Like there's only one choice. It's Rocket by Def Leppard. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You want me to start singing now to end this? No, out? if you want, you, to, you got can the sing drums. Us out. You, you, you know, like if you don't have drums and maybe some cowbell, then it's not worth <laughs> it from a marketing perspective. We always need more cowbell. We yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, we need more cowbell. But it, it's Rocket by Def Leppard. You got to play that as the intro and outro. Although that I think, you know. well, I got to buy the rights. You got to pay for the rights, exactly. I don't know, Def Leppard um, charges a lot. They're one of the. Uh, they're, the they're one of the holdout groups. Yeah, get the karaoke version. <laughs> Well, let's you and I record it together for next time. <laughs> oh my God. Just as long as my microphone is off <laughs> when we're recording, that's fine. But we'll make a music video. It'll be great. There we go. Listen, Jeannie, I knew this was going to be so much fun. You're you're amazing. Rite Aid is in truly the best hands. I cannot thank you enough for being on my show. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. I knew it was going to be a fun conversation. I, I feel like this is just the beginning of many amazing things. Absolutely. Well, thank you again and be well. Thank you. You too. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. 